And well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I am glad I'm with you this Sunday. Uh, last Sunday I was with my family for a baptism of my granddaughter Lydia, which is a great, great blessing. But it's good to be back with you and we want to listen to God's word and uh, receive from him. And I, I, Pastor Starner shared his sermon with me on, on anchored and the anchor, that Christ is our anchor. And he did a great job of setting this uh, theme up for the next couple weeks of being anchored and Christ is our anchor. We're using this idea of being on a boat or on a ship as we're sent fishing. That's kind of what I want in our minds for our mission. We're sent to fish, not for fish, but for people. And uh, it's an active thing. It's not a very passive thing, but it's an intentional, uh, purposeful endeavor. And part of being that is being on a ship or being on a boat. And if you know anything about being on a boat, a boat has to have a way to be still. And you got an anchor. And so I just want to think for a second, and this is not trick or anything like that, but just think, what does an anchor do? Obviously, it does what? It holds the ship in place. It holds the boat in place. It keeps it from being uh, carried off by a current. It keeps it from capsizing or being uh, swamped in a storm. An anchor holds that boat in place. And it doesn't matter how big or small the boat is. It's subject to the, those forces. And if, if it's... if. Uh, a person, the captain or the person uh, on the boat isn't careful, that boat, even a raft, you've ever seen that? A raft can be carried out uh, by the current or it certainly can be swamped by uh, carelessness. And an anchor holds it, holds it in place. And people need an anchor of hope. There's a lot going on in our world. There are certainly currents in thought and in philosophy and in culture that affect you and push you and cause you to move. Those things are definitely there. And if you're not a careful person, you can get easily swept away to a point of no return. There are storms that happen in every single person's life, things you never, ever expected that come and can capsize life and can cause trauma and discouragement very easily. And so uh, having an anchor that holds us in place, it certainly gives, it certainly can be, uh, has movement, but it stays there. And Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 is such an excellent verse, and it fits in with what our kids are, are learning in jam. Let's read it out loud together. It says this, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Uh, that's referring to the temple, to the very holy of holies, the very presence of God. The writer of Hebrews says we're anchored there, and we're held by the promise, presence, and power of God for this life, even when there's currents that are shaking uh, and shaping us. And we have an anchor. I thought of that uh, I, a few weeks ago or a month ago, I went out on, for a fishing expedition out on Lake Michigan, a charter fishing, had never done that before. And as we were driving out of Grand Haven, we drove past this, many of you have seen the, that, the anchor, right? 
And it's kind of funny because uh, atheistic movement had told the city of Grand Haven, you can't put a cross up there, right? So it was changed, and this is, this is actually what's called a hope anchor, right? And it's a form of the cross. It's actually the sailor's cross. It's called the hope anchor or the uh, uh, anchor for sailors to give hope. And what happens if an anchor isn't attached to anything? Again, not a tough question or not a setup question, but if the anchor is not attached to the boat, that boat is still, even though it has the anchor, it's just a paperweight or it's a, it's a sinking piece of lead or iron. And the, the boat, if it's unattached, can drift just as easily, become capsized and be put astray. And uh, for us, if we're gonna use that analogy, if we think we're attached, or if we're loosely attached, we're not firmly attached, that can happen to us as well. We can be blown off course. We can be uh, taken out by the currents. And it's faith, godly faith, that holds us, that keeps us in the right spot. That, yes, we're affected by our world that we live in and things, circumstances come our way, but we hold fast to the presence, the promises, and the protection of God and through all of our life. I want to look at what what. Jesus' baptism and the last words, the voice of the Father as he was baptized uh, and get some ideas of four links that are in the chain of uh, that chain that attaches us to the anchor, that attaches uh, similar to a ship being attached to an anchor. It's at the baptism of Jesus, and if you, ha um, you probably can memorize it, but if you have your scripture open, the voice from heaven said what? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And those words through faith in Christ apply to you and to me as well. And they serve as the attachment to the anchor of Jesus Christ in the midst of life and at the speed of life. It uh, gives an identity. This is my beloved son. My beloved son, it shows love, it's delight in whom I am well pleased, and it gives a place, gives the place of Christ. And those are like the four lengths in the chain to keep that kept Jesus attached to his father and carried him off on, as he carried off on his mission, as he would go off to war. Because the very next thing is after you're given your identity in Christ, you're going to face a challenge. And for Christ, it was going into the wilderness, face to face with Satan. And just as Adam and Eve were in that battle of the minds, right? And battle of temptation. And they had to determine who are we and what are we going to do? And these four links in the chain are to keep you attached to your father and to keep you attached in life and to keep you from drifting away or to capsize your life. And it's important. It's important to realize that Basically, before this, we know nothing of Jesus. Yes, there is the story of him being a young man in the temple, but there's, he didn't really do anything yet. He didn't, uh, uh, hadn't performed any miracles or anything like that recorded in Scripture. Uh, this is given to him as it is given to you. Now, certainly Jesus is the Son of God by nature, but God gives faith to you. He gives you his identity. He gives you his love. 
He's delighted in you. And he says, you have a place with me. Not because of your great goodness, but because of the goodness of God, because of the action of God. And we're going to take those and receive them. And just like any gift that needs to be opened, this is what I pray for you, that you'll take this thought and open it up to the many layers that it has for you, this identity. And this is the first thing I hope you see, that you have a core identity. You are my beloved son. You're my beloved child, says God to you as well in Christ Jesus. That's the core of who Jesus was. That's the core of who you and I are. And I'm God's child. Whatever happens, whatever life brings, whatever I face, the truth is I'm a child of God. Why don't you say that with me? I am a child of God. Not what do you think you should be? Where does your identity come from? This is a gift from God uh, to, to you and me as his children. And when you say that, when you know that, when you know that you know it, and I kind of like that verbiage from one of the songs we sang, when you know that you know it, it changes everything. And you may think, well, sure, for you, pastor, life's been easy peasy for you. I'm just like you. I've struggled with identity. I've struggled with who I am. I've tried to take my cues from living like everybody else as a young person. And I had to look at myself in the mirror and there were things about me that I didn't like what I saw. In fact, I despised some of the things about me. And I had to grapple with who am I? Who really am I? And these words from Christ to me are the same words that are given to you. You are a child of God. That makes a big difference in what you're going to do on Saturday night, yes, but also on Monday morning. It makes a big difference. I love what John chapter 1 verses 11 and 12 says, and it'll be on the screen or in your sermon notes. It says Jesus came to his own, and his own people didn't even receive him. They didn't understand him. They didn't like him. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he, read it aloud with me, he gave the right to become the children of God. You have the right to become a child of God and to believe that, to receive it, and accept it. Next week and the next two weeks, we're going to celebrate a baptism, two baptisms, and we're going to celebrate that great fact. This is what God is declaring. This is what God is saying. And what does it mean to be a child of God? What, are the, what, what does that mean? It means a couple of things. First of all, it means you're favored. You're favored. Let that dwell on your head for a second. You're favored by God. In other words, God has the best for you. He has the best for you. Now, I didn't say life always seems like it has the best for you, but what I said is God has the best for you. Remember Mary, the mother of Jesus, the messenger of God, the angel said, hail, highly favored, Remember how old she was? We don't know exact number of years, but she was a teenage girl. It's not 
the best of times for most women, from what I understand. That's not their favorite time of when they thought the most of themselves. They, most of the time, through body image and through place of life, they feel very insecure and, and are trying to figure it all out. But Jesus says, Mary, you're favored. Um, it, it's to show what, how he sees us and what he's done for us. He's given us his son. And if you have that, that confidence of life that God has the best for you, you're favored. It's kind of like if, you're, if you were ever on a team and you knew you were the favored team in this athletic competition that you expect to what? You're not cocky. You're not taking less of your opponent. But you know you think you're going to win. You're going to go into that competition with the intentionality. Again, not cocky or not careless, but just confident. And Jesus, God says to you and to his son, Jesus Christ, you can live with a confidence in life that God has the best for you and that it's going to be okay. It might be hard, it might be a battle, but you can trust the outcome that's gonna happen. It's about what God has done for you. And this is, this is your true identity. Even back in the Old Testament, Moses had to tell the children of Israel this. This is from Deuteronomy's message he's given before they're going into their battle for the promised land. They've come through exile in the wilderness for 40 years. And Moses said, listen, remember who you are, children of Israel. He, God, found Israel in a desert land. They were a, a, a people in Egypt, right? They were in a desert land, in a howling waste in the wilderness. He encircled them. God encircled them. He cared for them. He kept them as the apple of his eye. That's the Hebrew word for the pupil of his eye, that little circle. He's looking on them. He's looking at his people. He says, I see you. And I know you. I really do. I haven't forgotten you. I love you. I'm watching you. Your fav you have favor with God. And I'm a grandfather, and I favor my kids and my grandkids. That doesn't mean I give them special favors, but I love them, right? And you do too, if you, those of you who are parents and grandparents. You watch them, and you delight in them. You love them. And you want the best for them. And as a, as a godly father and grandfather, I've, I've, I'm I want to mirror the love of God or the, the nature of God to my children and grandchildren. So I've made it an uh, intentional part of my life that whenever I see my grandkids, I'm going to tell them, did I tell you I love you today? And I know that they're, they're kind of waiting for that and, and wait for that to happen, but I want them to know I love them. And even more, I want them to know God loves them. And I'm not taking that for granted. I'm intentional about that, and I'll, I'll pass that on. Have you heard that from God today? He loves you. He truly loves you. He loves you. Not because you're such a great person, you are, but uh, that's not the reason. The reason is because of God. And he truly loves you, and he's got the best for you. 
you're favored. And when, that, when you know that's true, there's a second thing. You're fearless. Now, I don't mean careless. I don't mean foolish. I don't mean doing things that are contrary to common sense. But you're fearless. In fact, Scripture tells us this. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, perfect love casts out fear. And when you know God's love and you know your identity as a favored child of God, fear starts to get out of town and you're not overwhelmed by it. You can have a, a non-anxious presence even in the midst of things because you know your father is greater than anything that can come with us. Is not you, you're not going to lose, you're going to gain. And, and in, in the end, it will be that way. So you see, fear causes us to react. We go into fight or flight syndrome, right? So when we're fearful, we're going to attack. And I got to beat you up. And I got to come up ahead of you. And I've got to put you down. Or I'm quitting. I'm done. I give up on life. And God says, you're my child. I'm with you. You're the apple of my eye. Yes, there's troubles. Yes, there's circumstances. There are currents. There are forces that affect us from the outside of which we have no control. There's calamities that come our way. But you never have to fear that the God of the universe is not for you and with you. Maybe you've come to a point of that personally. I know for me it made a deeper impression when my mom uh, got news of pancreatic cancer. Not just pancreatic cancer, advanced pancreatic cancer. If you know those words, your end of your days are in sight. And we cried, and we talked, and we prayed. And in her early stages, kind of, I don't even know how it happened, but she came up with a little phrase. And we said, Mom, I hope you are healed, but probably you're going to die. And she said, either way, I win. And that little phrase has become for me very powerful, more than a cliche, but a, a reminder of good things. Did I want her to die? Absolutely not. It was tough. But she said, I have something greater. I, I want to be with you. But there's something far greater than even this life and this world, which God has promised me. And either way, I win. And when the, the storms of life come your way and the disappointments of you thought life was going to be this and it's now this, you don't have what you wanted and your heart yearned for and you thought it would all turn out that great, you lose your job or life comes in a different way, or you're just pushed aside and pushed into a corner that you never dreamed or envisioned or thought. You're a child of God. You're favored. And you can live with a fearlessness that says either way, this is going to be good. 
because God, the God of the universe, is a good and gracious God. And it's something I can work through, and I know that and, and I will not listen to the, time, the thoughts in my head and the fears of my mind and my conscience because I have a word from God. It's kind of like the deer in my backyard. Some of you have deer around you, right? My neighbors feed deer, okay? So guess what I have in my backyard? Now, I don't like deer. I go deer hunting. Some of you know that, all right? So, I, so if that bothers you, we can talk about that another time. But, uh, and I don't like them in my backyard either. I, I would love not to have deer in there. I think they're beautiful animals, but not in my backyard. But guess what? When they're in my backyard, they just kind of look at me and go. They're fearless. They don't have to be afraid of me. I, I'm, I'm not a threat to them in my backyard. <laughs> now, November 15th, it might be a different story in, in, uh, when I'm with my family, but, uh, but I'm not a threat. And they have nothing to fear. And I pray for that non-anxious presence for you in the face of threats in the face of disappointments, in the currents that pull you and tug at you, in the thoughts that attack you and accuse you. God is taking care of you. And if you want to hold fast, be anchored in Christ. We live in a world that wants to give us a false identity and will, will cause you trouble. And it's easily to have your identity stolen from you or replaced. And I'm not an expert in identity theft, but I hear about a lot about it on the radio and on TV, and I know I'm supposed to have some kind of uh, uh, guard, safeguards up, up. But I want to take that idea, and, and uh, you can probably, you're probably more savvy in it than that, but just a couple things about a stolen identity. Why? Because Scripture tells us about this. In our men's Bible, men, when, Wednesday morning Bible class, we're reading from Colossians, and this word came up, and I just thought it was so apropos for our identity and our, our thinking. It says, Paul writes this to the Colossians. He says, see to it, see to it, pay attention, that no one takes you captive or ensnares you by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And he's writing this to people he had never met. He had never been to Colossae, the church there. But he says, folks, this is a, something that's going to affect everybody. And be on your guard about this and sort it all out. And so what do, what do we say? What do I want to say? First of all, avoid lapses. And if you've had, ever had an insurance that you let go, that you let lapse, when do you usually need that insurance, right? You usually need it after you let it go. And, but I think you can get the idea. We're not going to do his things intentionally that lead us astray from God. Intentionally, I said. We're not going to plan that. We're not even going to uh, allow that. And if you don't think it can slip in, read Lori Winnicky's latest epistle that went out to the families of her church. How she got deceived in her thinking that she had to do all this other stuff 
and got reminded, oh, this is what's most important. And I know that. You see, see that no one deceives you and avoid uh, lapses so we don't live in fear. Secondly, weekly updates. When we come together for strengthening in God's word, uh, God strengthens us. And this is where his promise is that through his word and through his sacraments, we're we're gaining strengthening, we're emboldened, we're encouraged, we're fortified by the power of his word and the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. That's what God promises of that, so that our identity is reestablished and we can give away who we are and we can stop living in fear so we don't drift by currents and we're not pulled by tides or capsized by storms. We have common sense. And by that, I don't mean a stitch in time saves nine or, or uh, birds of a feather flock together, but we're common. We have the same things. We hear the same things, the same word. We see the same scripture. We taste the same food. We smell the same smells. We sense the same things. We're we're common. We're together. That's why I think it's so important that we go into this uh, spiritual growth campaign called I'm a Church Member. And I want you all to have a book on the way out. So grab one and to all be in in some type of group where you just talk about it, and you're going to see it's a very small book that is really just a six little articles. See this? Does this look like a scary book, right? Big, nice white space, not overwhelming, but some powerful truths in it. But what does it mean to be a member of the body of Christ? Not by cultural standards. Not by the drift of 21st century America. What does God say? What does God have to say about this? And what does that mean for me? We're going to put that together, and we're going to, we're going to pray that through. And then daily monitoring. Um, if you don't open your true identity, people will happily give you a new identity. And they'll give you a lesser identity. And I know what happens to empty nesters. The kids are gone after those four-year rush of teenage years. And then they're not there anymore. And husbands and wives say, who are we? All we knew was raising kids. We're pretty good at that. Or maybe we, you know, that's all we knew. Now there's a new reality. You're a child of God without kids at home anymore. Or your, your job, you retire or your, your job gets terminated and you're out of work. And people... Search through that, right? It's a new reality. And all you knew was how to work. You're not doing that anymore. What's your identity? You see, and these are the cultural currents or the, the streams of life that do, and you could think of many others, but they all come about, and God reminds us, you're God's child. You're loved. He delights in you. And you have a place with him. I pray you can say, I'm not going to be moved. I'm not going to be swept away. Because I'm anchored 
in Christ. And that these links are fortified in your life. And you can hear from your Father, your Heavenly Father, this is my child whom I love, with whom I, whom I am well pleased. Amen. Let's pray. So thank you, Father, that you know who we are. And I pray that we receive with all grace and with a better understanding the truths we've heard today of being a child of God and an heir of God, an inheritor of all the blessings of God. Keep us anchored in that. Not what, and maybe some of us have a scar where I, our identity has been severely uh, marred. Bring clarity in the midst of that. And I pray for every heart and every home that they would be anchored in your love and your truth. And we pray it all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.